As you know, the theme is living the reality of the kingdom. And you can see that was not just a chosen slogan, but something arising out of what God is doing and wants to do. We need to revisit the reality of our faith. And it occurred to me very early on this year that one of the reasons why we don't seem to be producing in general the same level of radical discipleship that the early church seemed to produce was that they were really sure that Jesus had come. They'd seen him. They were really sure that he was raised from the dead. They'd witnessed it. They'd seen the miracles, the signs, and the wonders. And yet when Jesus said, it's to your advantage that I go away, some of us doubt it because we say, well, it's better for us to be there. I mean, I'd love to be there when Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. I'd love to have seen that. And yet God says we're in a position today that is more advantageous than those who witnessed the ministry of Jesus on this earth. And the reason for that is that we have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our living link with the reality of the kingdom of God. The Spirit of God is the Spirit of the kingdom. And in fact, we are in a far better place and position than those disciples were. When we think about it, there was a time when Jesus was challenged by the religious teachers, and having replied to that challenge, he made this statement, the kingdom of God does not come with outward observation. In other words, the kingdom of God was not something that could be measured in political terms, geographical terms, economic terms, military terms, many of the things that the Jewish people were expecting Messiah to bring were not going to come right until the very end. And Jesus said, don't ask questions about whether the kingdom is being restored to Israel at this time. The Father knows things and everything, these things, they're set by the Father's authority. But what you have to do is wait here because the Spirit's coming upon you. And when the Spirit comes on you, you will be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus says, the kingdom of God does not come with outward observation through these outward means. Of course, the kingdom of God can be seen, certainly in its effects, and the kingdom of God carries signs and wonders and visible demonstrations. But the kingdom of God is not a matter of these external worldly things. And then he said, the kingdom of God is among you. The kingdom of God is among you. And what he meant by that was, the king is here, therefore the kingdom is here. And as I am among you, you know the kingdom of God is here among you, working amongst you, because Messiah is here. And then later on, we can say the same thing. We can say the Holy Spirit is amongst us. He's moving amongst us. The kingdom is amongst us. Because the Spirit is the representative of Jesus, the, 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 the other comforter. However, our relationship with the Holy Spirit is even deeper than that. He's not just moving amongst us, He's moving upon us and He's living in us. 
Therefore we can say, the kingdom of God is not just amongst us, but the kingdom of God is within us. The kingdom of God is within you. And that means we are carriers of the kingdom and everything that the kingdom represents because we are clothed with power and indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Living the reality of the kingdom. My title this afternoon is Deep Calls to Deep. Drinking deeply from the river of life. Let's turn to Psalm 42. I want to read the whole psalm. Psalm 42. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. Well, they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with the deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hoping God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. I love the Psalms because they're honest. You might think that this man, and I'm not being disrespectful, was suffering from a spiritual form of bipolar. <laughs> he's up and down, he's in and out, he's praising, he's mourning, he's encouraging himself, he's rising to moments of faith. But such is the reality of the weakness and frailty of our flesh. But the one constant in all of this is God's presence, His satisfying, overwhelming, empowering, encouraging, hopeful presence. That's why it is so important to spend as much time as possible with Him and with one another in encouragement. 
This psalm focuses on a deep spiritual longing for God. I want to ask you a question. What causes you to long after God the most? When you want Him or need Him to do something for you? Spiritual thirst is not the longing for the good things of this life, but longing for God. As we live in the present reality of the kingdom, we are not yet free from suffering, any form of premature triumphalism breeds an immature spirituality. But the Holy Spirit has come to lead us into the deep things of God. And only the deep things can satisfy the deep longings of our heart. As a deer pants for flowing streams, O pants my soul for you, O God, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? This is a picture of the experience of a man who finds himself in a dry and barren environment spiritually. As he looks inside, he finds unfulfilled spiritual longing, personal spiritual longing that's not fulfilled, corporate spiritual longing that is not fulfilled. There is a place of personal pain as we discern this. He has the taunts of the enemy. Where is your God? Was there also a sense of personal failure? Why was he away from God geographically? Is this also an indication that he felt far from God spiritually? And as he sees the dry, desert-like environment and reflects how this is a picture of what's going on inside him, his longing and thirst for God grows. And then halfway through the psalm, there is a seemingly miraculous change in the environment. The environment changes from a drought to a flood. What we understand here is that this is the Jordan River in flood as the Snow melts from Hermon and can suddenly bring great gush, gushing flows of, of torrential water. And there is this expression, deep, calls to deep at the noise of your water spouts. And this in itself was a reflection of the depths of need in his human soul and the confession that only God can minister at that level of depth. And then as he sees these great torrents and waves, these billows overwhelming that environment, he says, that's exactly how I feel. All your waves and your billows have gone over me. It's very encouraging to know that not one thing happens, but by the permission of God. And sometimes the very things that we could classify as failure, demonic attack, 
or satanic activity. These very things can be under the hand of Almighty God, the very things that create within us a fresh new thirst for the living God. And we know that as he sees this churned up water, he is seeing, perhaps not fully understanding, what is happening and going to happen many hundreds of years from that point that there was one who was able to say, all your waves and billows have gone over me. The judgment of God has fallen upon Jesus and as a result of that, the release of God's Spirit touches our lives. When do you long after God the most? Do you find that your longing for God is often provoked during the overwhelming experiences of life? Overwhelming difficulty, overwhelming discouragement, times when you think nothing is happening or you're going through some extremely difficult experience. And in a sense... The church of Jesus Christ in this city is exactly there. Now, I could speak eloquently on the good things that are happening. But by and large, our society feels it's so easy just to brush us aside. And, and the enemies taunt us, where is your God? Where is your God? I, I, I tell you something. Somebody's just going to say that once too often. And we're going to rise up and say, you want to know where our God is? We're going to show you. But you better get out of the way because when he comes, there'll be no stopping him. And I believe in a way that our environment is provoking us. What are we going to do? Are we going to retreat and defeat and say, if you want it, take it? Or are we going to say, get out of the way, our God is coming. We are serving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Longing for God is often provoked in overwhelming experiences of life. And our desire for God is often satisfied the most in those deep experiences. I believe there is a direct connection between suffering in all its forms and our enjoyment of the Spirit. The sufferings of Christ and the enjoyment of the Spirit. Even in our own experience, the Apostle Paul eluquently stated in Philippians 3, 10 through 11, that I may know Him, the power of His resurrection, and may share in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death. So we know that when Jesus died, He died with an atoning sacrifice once for all, never to be repeated. And as Bruce was sharing this morning, from that moment to this, the blood has never lost its power. A single sacrifice, one offering forever. And yet, when we follow the one who carried the cross, we know that we too identify with Him in His death. There's a book published some time ago by... Uh, various authors and one of the contributors, Tom Smale, in this book entitled Charismatic Renewal, writes to deepen charismatic believers in their faith. I read it more than once and when I flicked through it recently, I saw very cross writings all the way through here and there. That's rubbish, that's overstated. 
So there is a way in which sometimes when people want to bring a corrective, they can go to the other extreme. Well, you can, you can um, judge that for yourself. Nevertheless, there were some things that I found then, and even more so now, extremely enlightening, were nourishing to me. Tom Smale describes this relationship, this connection between suffering and the spirit. He speaks about Philippians chapter 2, wherefore God has highly exalted him. What is the wherefore therefore? Because he chose the path of servanthood and he accepted death, even death on the cross. Tom Smale says, the path to the glory of the cross with its shame and humility, with its self-giving love, is the cross. He also said, Jesus could only do what he did before the cross because he was on the way to the cross. And he can only do what he does today after the cross because he went to the cross. All God's dealings with us work in rhythm with the cross and the resurrection. There's no shortcut to the glory of the throne. Only by way of the cross. Was this not the greatest stumbling block for those early disciples with their triumphalistic understanding of the messianic ministry, which according to them would immediately result in the overthrow of Rome and the reestablishment of Israel as an independent nation? Was this not exactly the point of revelation that Jesus went to great pains after the resurrection to explain to the disciples, ought not the Christ first suffer and then enter his glory? Only the cross, no other way. Only the cross guarantees triumph. So there is a direct relationship between the principle of walking in the shadow of the cross. The shadow of the cross casts its shadow not from this side but the other side because the other side of the cross is the glory of the resurrection. That's why the shadow of the cross is upon us. It invites us to go the same way. And as we surrender to Jesus, being prepared to be men and women cross-carrying disciples of Jesus Christ because we desire Him and the glory of His resurrection. When we realize that, the power of God is already at work in us. So when it comes to our suffering and the experience of the Spirit, we have to realize the power of love. If only, if only we could get this right, get the word order right. I never said the love of power. I said the power of love. And there is a big difference between the love of power and the power of love. The one is total immaturity and the other is the way of the kingdom. The power of love is so very different from the love of power. We want the power to avoid the cross. That's the natural tendency. We want the power to avoid suffering. We want the political influence to guarantee our comfort. We want Holy Spirit power that we could not only get rid of every suffering and cast out every sickness, but not even get sick in the first place. 
Jesus never used his power that way. He avoided the option to use his power to avoid the cross. Maybe that was the final temptation. If you are Messiah, come down from the cross and show us all. Certainly we know that at Gethsemane that was the temptation that Jesus might shrink back from his responsibility to embrace the fullness of his messianic mission in embracing suffering as a result of love. But we also know that he overcame everything by the power of his love. There is no evil thing that cannot be, that will not be, or that has not already been overcome by the power of his love. So, the power of love. Then our, our personal suffering. Personal pain. Weaknesses. Illness. Now, thank God that my book on healing has sold a lot of copies today. Because you'll be able to read that and understand that I believe in healing. There are people here today who can testify along with me that some of the story, well, all the stories that I, t I tell are real, but some of them you'll be able to testify. You were there. God is a healing God. Nevertheless, His first priority is not our personal physical comfort as much as He loves to reveal His glory in that way. Defeat. Shame. Embarrassment. Don't, don't you feel embarrassed? Don't you feel a sense of shame? Not that we revel in it. Remember, this guy had to remind, remind himself several times, why I go a morning because depression of the enemy? Why am I doing this? Why are you cast down? But there is a sense of shame and embarrassment. When we see how freely the enemy runs naked, unchecked, even applauded in the streets, and homes, and corridors of power in our city. And the embarrassment is not that those things exist. We're realistic to know that human fallen nature, fallen human nature is going to continue unabated, really. It'll never change. Human nature will never change until Jesus returns and it will be dealt with forever and even in us as our lives as believers. We do not struggle at all if we do not struggle with that stuff the Bible calls flesh. But the shame, embarrassment is the seeming ineffectiveness. Not that we are looking for positions of power and worldly influence as if we could, through big business or coercive political means, bring the kingdom of God in. No, no, no. But just spiritual ineffectiveness. That's the embarrassment. Personal suffering or sacrifice. Our lovelessness. When we are targets of hate, not knowing how to love enough to absorb that hate, and reflect God's love. 
Well, that's our suffering and the experience of the Spirit because in each and every one of these points, when confronted with all the negativity, the confusion, we go back to Him and say, my soul thirsts for the living God. I will put my hope in Him. That's when the Spirit comes through. Then there are the discoveries of the deep. As a scuba diver, I could speak so long about the beauty of being submerged in the ocean. I'd speak so long to, or you all had that sinking feeling yourself. But there is something to be said for the discoveries of the deep things of God as we are submerged in His presence, as the overwhelming current of His love and power of His Spirit draws us irresistibly towards God. One of my favorite kinds of dive is called a drift dive. I've been in situations when the current is so strong and because the current is not favorable, we have to cut the dive short and get out of the water. There are times when the whole of the dive is designed to flow with the current, to go with the flow. I remember in Salvador, we were in a dive and the current was so strong it had me and the person accompanying me land on the, on the other bay. They thought we were being swept out to sea. And we arrived out of the water like James Bond in the midst of a celebrating group of people barbecuing on the beach. But the next day, we replanned the whole dive and instead of trying to fight the flow, we went with the flow two and a half kilometers underwater with ever having to flip or flop or flap. <laughs> Just be carried along at exactly the right speed. Oh, what a wonderful description of flowing with the Holy Spirit. When you're flowing the way He's going, you will never get lost or tired. I long for that in my own experience. I'm such a dedicated activist that I don't want to leave anything undone that I could have done. But the point of power is when you move from what you can do and say now, Holy Spirit, do only what you can do. When we get out of the way, and I believe that many of the times our adversities or confusion or frustration or whatever it is, is nothing more than a current that God wants to flow into our lives that becomes so overwhelming, so irresistible, that we have to let go and He will take us directly into the Father's presence. The suffering, the struggle, all of this is working in us a dependence on the Holy Spirit and a hope in Him. Hoping God, for I again shall praise Him, my salvation and my God. This gives us a father-facing dependence. That's the direction of the current of God's Spirit. Always to place us in a position where we are dependent as we face Him. 
these things drive us closer to God. Then there's also this future orientation where we are always focused in the direction of hope, the hope that is to come. You know, when you go through deep suffering, it seems that the relief you experience is only momentary. In the middle of, midst of suffering or pain, you might have a moment of relief, but you look up and nothing has changed. But when you're in the presence of God, it is the suffering that seems momentary because you know everything is going to change forever. The difference is merely one of focus. Focus on what is seen or what is unseen. And the kingdom draws our eyes always into the realm of the unseen. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 to 18. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient but the things that are unseen are eternal. That's the reality of the kingdom. And this torrent of God's goodness, this overwhelming flood of His grace, gives to us, as Ezekiel said, rivers enough to swim Him. You are out of your depth, lost in the current of His irresistible grace. And in all of these things, it's not just that we are being satisfied but that we are being prepared and equipped and anointed to be agents of his kingdom. This afternoon, are you ready to open up to the depths of God? Deep is calling to deep today. The depths of your heart, the depths of your spirit made for this one purpose, to be a habitation for Him as the Holy Spirit frees you up on the inside, you really recognize that whatever mess is on just below the surface of your life, deep, deep, deep there is the nature, spiritual nature of God in us saying, come on, it's time to come home. I believe God wants us to immerse ourselves, and to put it better, God wants to immerse us in His flow of abundance and grace to test the currents which are running deep in God's purposes so that we will know which direction He's flowing and to follow Him, even be carried along by Him to the glorious purposes that lie ahead. Are you thirsty for God? Like a deer might pant for flowing streams? Is your soul thirsting for God, for the living God? Are you longing to drink fresh from the rivers of life? 